Well, good morning, Genesis. Thank you for tuning in this morning. So excited to worship with you, although not in person, certainly in spirit. Uh, My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm excited for today because really I want us to ask one question. I want us to think through one question this morning, and here it is. In this moment, a moment which I think we can all agree is unlike any other moment you've ever been in, what is it that you most need? Like right now, when you look out at the world, which feels like it's falling apart at the seams, what right now do you think you most need? Now, some of you would answer that question and say, what I most need is information. And so you're spending your days on uh, Facebook and news, and you're trying to figure out the latest updates on uh, coronavirus and what are the leaders doing to combat it. Some of you, what you most need is peace of mind. And you're thinking, I just hope my family's safe and my friends are safe. So you're spending your days checking in on them, seeing how they're doing. Some of you for the past few weeks uh, have been stuck at home with three young kids. And what you most need this morning is uh, some Advil and maybe a glass of Merlot. Uh, Maybe what you need this morning is interaction. You need community because uh, the loneliness is killing you. Maybe what you need are your fears calmed because you're afraid to go outside and get infected or maybe infect somebody else. Maybe it's been a few days in a row on the couch and what your family most needs is for you to take a shower. Maybe a fresh swipe of deodorant would help people out. Like, what do you most need this morning? Answers, exercise, community? The point is we're all answering this question, what we most need, a little differently. And if I could just get right to the point right away, I think all of us are answering that question incorrectly. It's not to say that we don't have kind of these horizontal, in-the-moment needs. I just don't think it's your most desperate need. See, what you most need, what I most need, what we all most need this morning is a bigger vision of who God is. What we need is a bigger vision of who God is. Because in a moment like this, where everything feels chaotic, the default's not to think, God, you're so big. Right? The reflex is, God, where are you? What are you doing in this moment? And I can all but guarantee that in this moment, whether it be a few more days or a few more weeks, perhaps a few more months, that you're going to miss this moment. You will waste this moment if you have a small view of God. What we need more than anything right now is a bigger vision of who God is. So if you're at home, grab your Bible and open up to Isaiah chapter 6. In in uh, chapter 6 of Isaiah, we're actually going to find some solidarity of what it's like to live in a moment like this and how we need that bigger vision of God. So if you're following along on your phone, uh, click on the ESV translation as we read along together. So Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King... Uzziah died. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but if in two years' time I said, in the year of the COVID 19 pandemic, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. See, that's what Isaiah is doing here. For Israel, when, when he says King Uzziah died, Isaiah is given a timeline. And the timeline's not necessarily to give Israel data, it's to give Israel an emotion. In the year Uzziah died, 
It brings him back to emotion. Because see, Uzziah, for Israel, he's a good king. Uh, Uzziah is a king who uh, strengthened their economy. He gave, strengthened their military, built up their walls. And when Uzziah dies for Israel, there's this emotion of, what's going on? Are we going to get through this? Are we going to be okay? It's probably not unlike some emotions we've been feeling the last three weeks. What's going on here? What if I get sick? What if my kids get sick? What if I lose my job? See, that's the emotion that Isaiah wants you to connect with. Because it's against that backdrop that Isaiah gets one of the biggest visions of God and we have in the whole Bible. And see, the vision of God that Isaiah gets and that he gives to the people of Israel, it's not necessarily meant for consolation. It's meant to give them hope. It's in the year King Uzziah died, society's falling apart. And so Isaiah finds himself in the temple. And this is what he sees. Keep reading with me in verse 1. In the year King that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah's sitting in the temple and the ceiling blows off the place. And what Isaiah sees is this vision of the Lord sitting on a temple. Right? As the world's panicking, running crazy, the Lord sits on his throne. See, what Isaiah's trying to communicate is that the first aspect of a big God is that God is sovereign. God sits on his throne. Because a sitting God is a sovereign God. Right now, in this moment, I can promise you that if you could look into the throne room of heaven, God's not panicking. God's not pacing around the throne room thinking, will they have a vaccine in time? Or how will they stimulate the economy? Uh, What about the unemployment rate? No, right now in heaven, God sits on the throne and he's in control. He's in control of all things. You know, what I'm learning about myself the past few weeks is that I don't like when things feel out of my control. I don't like the worry. I don't like worrying if there's going to be food at Stop and Shop. I don't like the feeling of uncontrol of, well, what happens if my baby girl gets sick? But what's interesting is what God's teaching me is that, Kyle, you've never been in control. You're just now feeling that a little more intensely. No, because, Kyle, you need a bigger vision of who I am. And the first thing God says is, no, I'm a sovereign God. I sit on the throne. And I know that maybe perhaps what you're thinking is, I don't want a sitting God. I want a doing God. I want a God going 200 miles an hour who's fixing the problem. That's the God that we should put in control, right? And I hear what you're saying, but I would just push back and say this. That is not an acting God. That's a reacting God. Right, a God who reacts to a pandemic, a God who is trying to figure out how to work this thing out, that's not a God who's sovereign. That's a God who's at the mercy of COVID-19. Right, what you want is a sitting God because a sitting God is a sovereign God. Of course, the next question would be, well, I don't really want, if God's sovereign, why won't he just end the pandemic? If he's sitting in heaven, if he's not stressed or worried, 
What's the point or purpose of this? And see, now that's a really good question, and I'll be the first one to tell you that I don't have an answer to that. But here's why I'm, like, why I'm okay that I don't have an answer to that. Because if God is real, and if this God sits on a throne over all creation, and if this God is in control of all things, they're all in his hand, is it not possible that he does things for reasons that are unknown to us? A God who sits at the height of creation, is it not possible he has divine prerogative for doing things that we just don't know why he does them? You see, we so often want a God that we can put in a box, a God we can understand in totality. I just don't think that's actually the God you want. A God that I can exhaustively understand, that's a pretty tiny God. Right? What you want is a sitting God, because a sitting God's a sovereign God. And that's the God that Isaiah sees a God that ordains all things, a God that has providence over all things. You might think you want answers this morning. You might think you want peace of mind. No, you need a bigger vision of who God is. And what Isaiah says is the first thing about a big God is that he's a sovereign God. But praise the Lord, he's so much bigger than just sovereignty. Let's just read verse 1 one more time together. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah sees this God, he's sitting on a throne, and he's high and lifted up. Now, you might not see this super clearly, but high and lifted up, that's actually a Hebrew idiom. It's this kind of phrase they use to describe the most exclusive divinity. What it means is that this divinity is set apart. So not only is a big God sovereign, the second aspect of a big God is that he's separate. Right? This is Isaiah trying to humble us. That he's saying, no, when everything seems like it's going crazy, God is so separate from us. He's so much bigger than you. And think of how we know about God. Eternal, infinite, self-existent, self-sufficient, transcendent. He's all these things that were not because in his essence, God is separate than us. If you were to talk to a friend and you were trying to explain who God is to them, how would you do that? What words would you use to describe God? I know for me, I so often do this thing where I casualize God. I kind of bring him down to my level. And really what I end up describing is not so much the God that Isaiah sees. I kind of talk about a heavenly grandfather. You know, grandpa's good for some birthday cash. He's great for some wisdom, but by and large, Grandpa's kind of outdated. He's kind of irrelevant to what's going on. It, it almost seems like in our efforts to make God seem so approachable, which he 100% is, we sometimes strip God of his exalted, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, totally holy, totally other nature of who he is. God, you need a bigger God this morning. And what Isaiah says is that big God, he's a separate God. So don't try to create a box to, to fit God into that. 
Because God happily blows that box up every time because who he is can't contain in a box that we could create. Because God's a separate God. What do you most need this morning? You need the God that Isaiah is looking at. You need a God who rules in complete sovereignty as he sits. And you need a God who has categories that we can't define because he's separate. And to uh, accentuate this point, Isaiah is now going to pivot and tell you what's going on in the throne room around that God that he's looking at. So read with me in verse 2. It says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So the scene here goes from awe-inspiring to straight-up overpowering. So I grew up in the Midwest, and one thing I miss most about the Midwest is summer thunderstorms. So I'm a country boy, and you could tell when the thunderstorm was going to come because the day would start super hot, super humid, and then all of a sudden you'd start feeling a breeze. And so I'd kind of go out onto the deck, onto the porch, and look up into the sky, and all of a sudden the sky starts changing colors. And then this massive wall cloud forms, and as far as the, eye, or the sky stretches, it's, it's all you can see. And this cloud is just dark as night. And you can start seeing little flashes of lightning in the distance, kind of faint rumbles of thunder. And then this breeze starts to cool down, and you can start feeling it on your face. And then almost, it, it felt like in a few seconds, this massive wall cloud, it's like surrounding you. And the wind feels like it's bending over the trees, and the lightning is now flashing and bolting all around you. And the thunder, it's shaking the house, it's shaking your insides. And you have nothing but to do but run inside and get for cover. Right? It's like this moment of pure magnitude. And that's what Isaiah is getting at when he describes what's going on. Right? He says, I see these heavenly creatures. They're called the seraphim. It just means the burning ones. And so it's like these bolts of lightning and they're flying around the throne room, and they got six wings. And, but, but, but notice, only two wings are meant for flight. Right? The other four are meant to cover their eyes and their face, as if I can't look at a sovereign, separate God. And so they're flying around, and what are they doing? They're worshiping. See, because the third aspect of a big God, he's supreme. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of song. And, and so they're flying around, and what did they sing? We just sang it a little bit ago. Holy, holy, holy. And now in Hebrew, if you really, really wanted to emphasize something, you would say it two times. But here, three times. It's as if to say, there's not enough words to describe how holy you are, God. There's not enough words to describe how sovereign you are, how separate you are, how supreme you are. And what they're singing, it's not like that nice church melody we just sang. Because what's it say? It says they sang and the temple shook, right? This is 
holy, holy, holy. Like it's really, it's really hard to describe how big of a God that Isaiah encounters here. It's a God that demands your attention. It's a God that demands your voice. Let me just ask you this week, what's taken your attention? What's your voice been talking about? COVID-19. Everything online, everything on TV, every conversation we have. It's about this virus that's going around. In the year of the pandemic, we became consumed by the pandemic. In the year King Uzziah died, no, Isaiah, I'm consumed with who God is. And the voices, they're flying around the throne and they're not worried about the chaos down below. It's holy, holy, holy. See, what we all need this morning more than anything we don't need peace of mind. We don't need information. We don't even need a vaccine. We need to get a glimpse of how big God is. Because this is full of hope. This is full of no matter what's going on, God's still in control. His holiness is still true. We know that he's working all things for his glory, for our good, even if we don't know how to see that. I'll be honest with you, I'm not seeing a glimpse of glory. I'm not seeing a sliver of good. But I know that if in the heaven the angels can still sing, holy, 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 well, then so can I. So can you. Like all of this, it just lets us be able just to breathe a little lighter. It gives us this confidence that no, God's still good. He knows what's going on. It's not out of his control. So this is a God that Isaiah sees, right? He's sovereign, he's separate, and he's supreme. And so what do you suppose Isaiah's response to this God is? How would you respond? If, if where you're sitting right now, your ceiling ripped off your house or your apartment, you saw that God, what would be your response? Because it sounds big, it sounds beautiful, it sounds glorious, but it's also scary. Like that God seems quite distant. So how do you think Isaiah would respond in this moment? Let's keep reading together, starting in verse five. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The response that Isaiah has is simple. It's a confession that I am not God. He recognizes his sin. He recognizes his guilt. In other words, he recognizes that which separates him from God. Now, it's this moment that Isaiah understands 
whatever vision of God I had before this moment, it was way too small. And so Isaiah sees who he is in light of this God, but then it's in this moment that Isaiah sees the fourth aspect of God, and maybe the most profound, that this big God is also a God who saves. His sins atone for. His guilt is taken away. See, Isaiah 6 is a glimpse of the gospel. Right? Where the gospel, Jesus, God. Right? He shows up. He takes on humanity. He takes on flesh. He lives with us. He dies for us. Why? That your sin would be atoned for. That your guilt would be taken away. See, the fact that God saves, that's what makes the Christian God bigger than any other God you can ever hear about, read about, think about. Because sure, study different religions, and to some degree, every God has to be somewhat sovereign. He has to be somewhat separate. He has to be somewhat supreme. I mean, that's the nature of who God is. But all those gods will then say, do this in order to save yourself. Work a little harder. Be more religious. Ascent to some level of knowledge. But what does Isaiah do for salvation? Absolutely nothing. See, it's the Christian God, it's the God who saves that is bigger than anything we can comprehend. That, that is, that's grace that is a magnitude that we can't understand. That a God who would sit on a throne, that a God who would be so separate, a God that would be so supreme, that he would want you in his family, that he'd do anything to get you in his family, that he would send his son and let his blood atone for your sin. That's the biggest God that you need, and that's the only thing you truly need this morning. 